Hey, thanks for checking out the Blake Benz podcast. If you're a first-time listener, this is a podcast where we talk about all things business, entrepreneurship, and really how to grow and scale your business. On today's episode, we have Bob Sager. He's the founder of Spearpoint Solutions. He's also the author of two books, Discovering Your Greatness. And then the second one, I love the title, 101 Freaking Brilliant Business Ideas. He and his business help companies innovate and differentiate themselves. He trains their clients to be more creative, all the way down to the customer and employee experience. Uh, as you know, differentiation is a topic that I love to talk about, especially when you have businesses who they think they're different, but they're really not. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. And hey, if you're loving the podcast, if you're a longtime listener, maybe you've just found us and you like our style and what we're doing for people, consider being a donor for the podcast. Or if you want even a sponsor of the podcast, check out patron.podbean.com slash goodadvice and you can find out more information there. Enjoy the episode and have a happy Thanksgiving. any questions for me before we start yeah i i listened to a little bit of a few of your episodes uh just been doing a little bit of prep to get a feel for your style so you're uh this is irrelevant to the podcast but your father is a famous attorney he's not famous <laughs> i would i would call him, <laughs> i would call him famous he he's probably famous the most in humble your world person. yeah yeah he's probably like the most humble person you'd ever talk to but um, yeah, he's been an attorney for maybe probably 40 years. And so he's gotten to the point where, as he described it, he's like the only attorney people like know about cause he's been around the longest. Um, but, but yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you, you chose not to follow in his footsteps. I have zero interest in law <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, I, he. Uh, I, as a kid, I remember he was reading and writing basically all day, and I thought this was the most boring job anyone could ever have. Uh, but the interesting thing here's what's really interesting about this is when I was like in eleventh or twelfth grade, I was really curious because because he had you know devoted his whole life to this, and I thought it was really strange because mm -hmm. I was like, how could somebody do something so boring? And so I asked him, I said, dad, why do you, why are you an attorney? Like, why do you, cause he does like, you know, bank mergers and acquisitions. And it's a lot of like contracts and things like that. I said, why do you right. do? And he literally just instantly, he said, I like to help people, which totally, I just, I hear he said it and I was like, wow, like, it's amazing that that's what you see your work as. And so he has a uh, really noble perspective on his business and I really admire him for it. But um, I like to help people in other ways. <laughs> do, you, do you mind if I tell you kind of a, 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 an illustrative story about how everybody has their own thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I spent 17 years in the financial services industry, and uh, there, was a, there was a day, or actually it was a, a period of days, where a colleague of mine had a, an accountant lady working on doing some stuff with his taxes. And so now to me, doing something like that, I'd rather friggin' eat glass. I mean, it, it really, uh, and so she's sitting there, she's got spreadsheets and receipts and all kinds of matter of paperwork spread out in front of her. And I'm looking at that thinking, 
I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And so in a kind of a sarcastic way, Blake, I said, oh, looks like you're having fun. And she looked up with a, an ear to ear grin and said, as a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, then so, <laughs> just a perspective on, you know, what, what is, is sort of drudgery for one person is absolute, you know, ecstatic joy for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of like, right. why it's, it's, it's kind of like why it's so important to be mindful of, you know, the roles you give your employees in, in the sense of everyone has their thing that they really flourish in. And it may right. not be, it may not be the traditional or what you would, what you would want for yourself, right? It, it, it may be something totally different. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've already jumped in. I, I, I started recording a few minutes ago. Let me introduce you oh, yeah. to, to our <laughs> listeners today. Uh, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out the Blake Benz podcast. I'm sitting down with Bob Sager today. Bob is the founder of Spearpoint Solutions. He's also the author of two books, Discovering Your Greatness, which I want to hear about. It sounds like an awesome book. And then the second one, I love the title, 101 Freaking Brilliant Business Ideas. Uh, his business, what he does is he helps companies innovate and differentiate themselves, and he also even trains them to be more creative with their clients and their customers, and even all the way down to the employee experience. Bob, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. I'm excited. Yeah, Blake, it's my pleasure to be with you. So we, you know, I, the, the audience got to listen in right there on just a random conversation we started with. First of all, as I welcome you to the podcast, where are you calling in from? A little north of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, okay. a, a a town most people have never heard of called Westchester, Ohio. I think it's a requirement that every state have a town named Westchester. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it takes me about twenty five minutes to get downtown Cincinnati, so just a little bit north. Okay, well, and and I, you know, I, these kind of conversations are really fun for me because there's been like no pre-conversation. Like this is literally the first time we're having a conversation. And so the audience gets kind of like this authentic, <laughs> well, this, where is this going to go? Is this going to be good or not? And so I, I am excited to have you on the podcast. Tell me, give me kind of like the 30,000 foot view of your business and what you guys do. Well, you know, it, it's really, as you kind of alluded to in your introduction, it's broken up into two parts. Um, we do a lot of training work on teaching people, sort of reintroducing them to them, their creative self. Uh, you know, and we're all born as creative thinkers, but uh, after about the age of five and people go to formal school, that's kind of um, discouraged or it's definitely, if it's not actively discouraged, it's definitely not encouraged. You know, people were taught that there's one answer to things. And um, and why is that the answer? Because that's on the test, right? And so um, the, the reality is we're all creative in our own way. And I think a lot of people don't believe that they are, mostly because of what I just said. And the second part is societally, we're told that there are quote unquote creatives and then there are the rest of us, right? And the creatives are people who have some sort of artistic creativity, you know, design, uh, photography, writing a novel. And those are kind of rare individuals. 
right? And then that's probably 5% or fewer. And then there are 95% of the rest of us. But the reality is there's all kinds of creativity possible. Uh, but until people kind of learn to look at things and break out of their habitual thinking patterns, uh, they don't think they're creative. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the training work that we do is going in and working organizationally with people. We do what we call uh, training fun shops. And I call them fun shops, Blake, because they're not work. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I invented a uh, creative thinking game a few years ago that, that we use uh, as a basis for teaching people. It's called What's the Big Idea? And with that, with that game, there's something magical about playing a game where, you know, people, it's like, oh, we, we don't have to be serious now. We're just having fun, right? We're just playing a game. And yet through playing that game and uh, competing on a friendly level, people come up with some astounding ideas and strategies that help them move their business forward that absent that game, they never would have thought of. And so, and I can tell you that in the course of those uh, training fun shops, some people tell me this overtly and some people you could just see by the change in their physiology that it's like they surprise themselves and sometimes even shock themselves. It's like, holy moly, where did that come from? Like, I never would have thought of that before. And it really, on a little deeper level, it changes how they feel about themselves. That I've had people tell me, you know, uh, I'm a little sharper than I thought I was. Hmm. Right? I, I'm, a little, I'm a little better than I've been giving myself credit for. And so it starts to amp up their expectations of what's possible for them. And when you can do that, when you can make people feel better about themselves, um, then they're going to achieve at a higher level because they start expecting more of themselves. Mm. So that's um, on the training side. That's uh, Does that give you a pretty good view of yeah. what that's about? Well, and it, it makes me think about how, I'm sure in some cases you're a breath of fresh air in the sense of, you know, some people, I feel like they, even like the comments that you hear, the feedback you get of people who they, they feel that freshness and they feel like that level of, you know, they're kind of maybe even in, inspired by themselves of like, wow. And I don't mean like in the sense of like a narcissist, but like, you know, wow, I didn't realize I had this in me. I, I think part of it, it's probably encouraging to have you in there because I just know some people, especially in bigger brands, they don't quite have the space to innovate or be creative and it's, it's in, not even only in big brands, but especially in stressed out capacity, you know, busting at the seams companies where it's really the managers just saying, just do the job, you know, just get it done. And it's kind of like when you're in school and it's like, just get the test taken and check the box and what have you. And so I, I would imagine that you bring a lot of, and I don't mean this in the sense of like, it's just fluffy, but you bring a lot of posi- po- positivity that leaves, leads into actual action that maybe they... It's like, wow, I haven't been able to experience this before. Oh, without question. And the other thing is a thought on that, what you're just talking about there is that I think the brands that are going to find themselves thriving in the future are the ones who, as opposed to just having people do the job that they were hired for the way they prescribed it, they're going to be more like 
uh, the Googles of the world. Uh, Google has a concept called 20% time. And so 80% of the time, they want you to do the job that, uh, you know, the, as the way they have it laid out. But 20% of the time, you can work on anything you want to, right? Anything you want to, they encourage uh, people to get um, into exploring new possibilities. And I was reading an article about that, that over 90% of their new innovations come from that 20% time. And so, um, you know, I think the companies that are going to thrive, and this is true of individuals too, that are going to thrive in the future with the advent of all this technology that uh, is automating so many processes and so many jobs that people have done before, those that thrive in the future are going to be the ones that have that skill set uh, and I mean, on a company level that encourage people to start thinking in new ways, to start thinking creatively. I mean, we have a tendency to sort of equate innovation with technology, but innovation is really doing anything in a better way, mm-hmm. a new, uh, more efficient way. Uh, that makes things more effective. What the, the phrase that absolutely makes my skin crawl, Blake, is we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, so what? I mean, my response is, so what? That doesn't mean it's the best way. Mm-hmm. It just means it's the way you've done it. And, and if you're not looking for new possibilities, if you're not looking for new efficiencies, guess who's going to be? Somebody's competing against you, right? And uh, so uh, to answer the second part of your question in terms of the work that we do, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to a CEO or a director, somebody who has decision-making authority on hiring uh, somebody to come in and, as an outside trainer. And they'll talk about, that's great. That's going to help us a lot, um, especially mid-range and long-term. but boy, Bob, we need some things that are going to help us get unstuck now. And so, you know, I do a lot of strategy development work too. Uh, You know, I guess when you, part of the advantage of getting to be my age is you got a lot of experience. You know, I've I've been in business over 30 years. So, you know, I've sort of studied people for 30 years really intensely over the last 20 plus on what in the world makes people do the things that they do and not do the things that they don't do, right? What causes humans to take action? And uh, when you combine that uh, with a pretty good understanding of business and add you know a few dashes of creativity in there, you can develop some pretty innovative strategies. So that's hopefully it gives you an overview of the two aspects of, of the work that we do. Hmm. Well, and I really liked how you said that, um, you know, it, 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 you're so right in that people often associate innovation with like tech or a tech solution or things like that, rather than understanding, especially that, hey, your competition is thinking of ways to do it better and faster and different than you are. It feels, right. like, it feels like bosses recognize the importance of innovation and they recognize the importance of employees thinking for themselves, so to speak, and not just being in the, you know, the robot grind of, you know, do this, this, and this. And yet it feels like, or at least in my experience, the companies that I've worked with, that 
businesses are extremely hesitant to create processes that that allow their employees to breathe and to explore and to try things. Do you have any idea as to why that may be the case or why that seems to happen? I think a lot of it is ego driven. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you get bosses that are bosses and not leaders. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have a a few friends that train on leadership and uh, that's, there's such a, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative here, but there's a real dearth of leadership in a lot of organizations. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, you know, plus you get companies of a certain size and they, they can very easily develop a mindset of it's not broken, right? It's not broken. It works this way. So why would we upset the apple cart? Right. And, and yet that same mentality uh, leads to the downfall of a lot of companies. Uh, you know, blockbusters model wasn't broken either. Hmm. Right. Right. Uh, neither, neither was Kodak's. Hmm. Um, but something else comes along, a better way to do things comes along. And all of a sudden, uh, without much warning, it is broken. So to me, the companies that are going to thrive in the future are those that are continuously innovating and asking themselves, okay, this works fine now, but in what ways, what might we do it better? Mm-hmm. In what ways might we serve the customer even better? Even if you're the leader, in my opinion, at least, you better be asking yourself that. By the, and by the way, that's why we predominantly work with small and mid-sized companies because they're a lot more nimble uh, and they're not um, they're not resting on their laurels. They uh, they know they're not the leader that they want to be, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and they're just, and plus the implementation of things is a lot easier when there's less uh, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I feel exactly the same way. And it's, it's why I've moved away. So at my previous consulting company, we were all with like fortune 500 brands, these large organizations. And whenever I went out on my own, exactly what you're saying, I, I was exhausted by the complexity uh, not in the sense of like, it's not understandable or manageable, but really the bureaucracy, bureaucracy of large businesses. And I especially value what you just said about small business owners who absolutely, yeah, they are eager and hungry and agile. And uh, it just, I feel like it makes work so much more rewarding when you're working with people who actually want to implement what what they need to implement, right? Right, right. Now, I'll tell you, I have had a, a lot of fun. I've been doing some training work with uh, Choice Hotels. And uh, the interesting thing about Choice is is all of their, uh, all their, regardless of brand, all of their owners, they're, they're all small business people, right? E- even if I own a, a Quality Inn or a Comfort Inn or a Comfort Suites or something like that, that's a part of, that's under the choice umbrella, but I'm an independent business owner, right? I'm just affiliated with them. So we'll do some fairly large training events with them at their conferences, but you know, the audience that I'm really training is that small business owner that's there attending that conference. So that's a lot of fun because they've got some constraints with choice branding and, and uh, rules and stuff. But I can tell you they're pretty open to uh, to doing things in a uh, unique and innovative way. Mm. I really appreciate you too mentioning 
ego, because when I asked the question originally, and I mentioned this, I was thinking ego in my head, but I, I feel like I've been beating a dead horse about ego being the problem in business. And so, first of all, I appreciate you pretty much confirming that and saying, having this, having a similar opinion. Why does, it's so strange to me how ego is so prevalent and it's so disruptive to the momentum of a business and yet people are unwilling to, or a, a large number of leaders are unwilling to set that aside because I guess they see it as their own competitive advantage. They see it as what's gotten them where they are today. What's been your experience in working with the boss or the leader who just doesn't want to change or just doesn't you know, see much issue with their ego? Well, look, it's part of the human condition, right? Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, everybody, it's, uh, it's work to, to rise above that, right? To, to rise above that. And plus, I, let, me, let, me do, uh, let me backtrack a little bit and say that people have a tendency to get told that there are, um, you know, this is the way you do it. Uh, you have that competitive fire and you've got to beat the other person. Well, you've got to beat the other person. Um, it leads to ego, right? And so I think if you're going to get somebody out of that, what you have to do is you, is you have to ask the questions about really defining what's emotionally, what's important at an emotionally significant level for that person. And once you can get there, once you can get there with that leader and then show them how um, at least temporarily setting their ego aside and uh, giving the people some space, giving their team some space uh, to do what they can do, then, then you've got something that you can work with. And, and look, the side benefit of that is the more you trust your people, and sort of give them a reputation to live up to, the more they're going to surprise you with what they're going to do. Uh, you know, if you've got a culture of, of mistrust and where, you know, the sort of line level people and management or ownership are at odds, you're probably not going to achieve anywhere near the potential that your company has. And, um, and that's really what people want uh, who are in leadership positions. They want that growth, uh, and they want the growth without uh, simply exchanging one form of wealth for another. Mm. I know we haven't talked about the five forms of wealth yet, but. We can uh, if you'd like. I, <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. So, <laughs> okay. But the only thing so, I was going to, before you jump in, the only thing I was going to sure, add yeah. was uh, it, it Something else I've noticed too with leaders is it's hard sometimes to recognize how much money is left on the table in the sense of, you know, a company will have a, in their mind, a, a profitable year, you know, there was, or there was just the presence of a profit. They weren't in the red yet, you know, you have employees, you have the incredible turnover, you have a product maybe that isn't doing so well, but because you don't feel the pain of negative cash flow the incentive to change is low, right? And so I think what's really special about some businesses are people who, 
it's the leaders who are willing to set aside their ego and recognize the need to change, even when the circumstances feel okay enough, so to speak, to continue on with that. Yeah, I heard I heard Maxwell say one time that uh, people only change when the incentive is great enough, or or the pain of staying the same mm-hmm. is too much to bear. Right. So it's uh, so you've got to if you're speaking with somebody, you've got to be able to effectively paint a picture uh, for them. Actually, if you're really good. Uh, you ask the questions and they paint the picture in their own mind of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when they see that and go, okay, well, how do I get there? Then, and then they recognize that the obstacle that needs to be removed is their ego mm. uh, and their sense of, oh, I, it has to be done my way, right? Then that's where you're really hitting the magic, I think. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, let's talk about the five forms of wealth. Yeah, five forms of wealth. You know, I, I think I alluded before we started recording here today, Blake, I spent 17 years in the financial services industry. And it, it was while I was working in that industry that it really occurred to me that most people, when they think of wealth, they're thinking of money. And money is part of wealth, no question about it. Uh, in fact, if you don't think it's part of wealth and it's not important, try going about it for a while. And it is important, right? And it is part of wealth, but that's only one aspect of it. So the five, and in my opinion and observation, are money, time, satisfaction, relationships, and health. And without a relative abundance of and balance between all of those, I don't think you really have a truly wealthy life. Hmm. I mean, what good's all the money in the world if you can't walk up a flight of stairs without getting winded? <laughs> or you're divorced three times and your kids yeah. don't speak to you, right? Hmm. Or you hate what you do. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, it actually makes me think of, uh, I've never heard this analogy either, by the way, and I love it. When I first started my business, it was really challenging financially. And I remember feeling really depressed about it. And I had a friend of mine who said, he said, Blake, you are so wealthy in so many ways. Don't let money determine your perspective on life. Which, and I remember Mm -hmm. feeling like this sense of, oh yeah, like my sense of contentment was really all around the number in the bank account. Right. And I, I pretty much ignored these other factors that you're, you're pointing out. You know, there's a, and there's sort of a, a concept that's become popularized, and maybe this is just because of social media and because of some uh, so-called gurus, that the only way to become, quote unquote, successful is to work your face off 16 hours a day. And, and what if it doesn't have to be that way, right? What if you don't have to do that? What if you can, you know, the uh, uh, my little podcast is called outthink the competition, right? What if you can outthink the competition instead of just trying to outwork them? Mm. Because the reality is there's only 24 hours in a day and you only have so many days in your life. So how much of that do you want to spend working? 
you know, versus spending some time with your family versus mm-hmm. uh, traveling versus uh, doing, even if you love your work, right? Which I do, but I, I like doing things other than just work, right? So it's, um, I don't know. I, I think the old concept was called a well-rounded life. I think you ought to have a well-rounded life mm. where it's not just about your work contribution, but it's about the, all the other things that you do in your life. And, uh, you know, and, and when people are at your funeral, uh, you know, I want people to be sad at my funeral, <laughs> celebrating my life, but sad that they don't get to experience Bob anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, what you're saying is kind of heresy. I think for some people in American work culture, <laughs> right? Who, so like, I'm like, certain that's true. <laughs> so like a great example of this would be Gary V who I, I really like Gary V. I really like his content, but one that's, that's one of the things he, he hangs his hat on is what I call hustler culture. It's, it's, you got to hustle, uh-huh. you got to work hard. You got to, you got to go, 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 go. And I, I wrote an article probably six months ago that was like, you know, we, we have to, we need to kill off hustler culture because it is, it's killing people. I mean, it's killing businesses. Right. And it's, it's kind of like people, I think when you ask that question of, you know, what if you could be as successful as you are or as you want to be, but do it in half the time or a third of the time, I think it was maybe even Tim Ferriss who wrote the book, uh, four hour work week. You know, oh, yes. so you, you have these, these people who are saying, well, why does it have to be that way? And I think, I think it's worth leaning into, right? Well, it, it, you know, it, I call it outthink the competition on purpose because uh, that's the only unlimited resource that you have. You know, you've got a gold mine that you haven't discovered yet. You know, if you try to outwork people, your time is limited, right? Mm-hmm. There's only 24 hours in a day. If you try to outspend, there's only so many dollars to go around. Plus, that's a losing game, right? Unless you got the kind of scale of a of a huge, huge corporation, uh, you can't afford to do that. But the one thing that you can do, you've got this resource that's free. It's given to you at birth, and yet it's so untapped that that's where you need to be focusing your efforts. Is you know. Let's let's um, let's think, right? Let's create uh, ways that we can serve better, and we don't just have to outwork. I mean, people have been brainwashed to believe that hard work is it, right? Mm-hmm. Hard work is the key, and yet, if hard work was the key, if that was the key to wealth, then a farmer working his farm with no modern implements would be the richest person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, you're right. It is heresy, but, um, but I, I, but I'm preaching a new doctrine. Well, it's, it's, you know, and I think this goes in tandem with like hustler culture. It's like, it's like a shaming when you're taking time for yourself. Right. And, And we see this, we see this not only, um, uh, so, so let me put it this way. You see it corporately where like I've seen bosses sometimes where the employee is taking off time and the boss will guilt them or say, you know, don't you care about our customers? Like, don't you care about when like that person has like their legally mandated time off, right? So you see it internally. You also see it like even people who are like, yeah, I'm going to take Friday off. And it's like, oh, wow, are you lazy? Like, are you, what do you mean you're taking Friday off? Right. And so, right. 
it, it, there's this shame element to it that I think in order to be a successful and happy person, I guess it comes down to, I'm not going to care what people think, right. Or what people say about me, or I don't know. You know, look, Blake, what if instead of that, right, just putting in hours, what if instead when we work, we were more focused, right? We weren't distracted. You know, you can, uh, there's so, so much power in focus. I mean, if we go outside on a sunny day, it's warm and comfortable, right? But we probably got to light anything on fire. So if we have a magnifying glass and we can focus that sun's energy, then we can start some fires. And so I think if you can adopt the same kind of mindset in, in your work, where when you're working, you're working, right? You're mm-hmm. focused. You know, I had a, a, a guy I mentored one time. He was a car salesperson. And uh, I remember talking with him. Uh, in fact, this was a preamble to a training call I did for some other people I was mentoring. And he told me, he said, Bob, I got to tell you, last month, I was the number one salesperson at the dealership. I'm like, hey, man, that's, congratulations. That's uh, fantastic. I said, have you ever been number one before? He said, no, I've never been number one before. And he said, you know what the best part is? I said, what? He said, I didn't go in on my days off. <laughs> he said, I've never done that before. He said, yeah. well, you start talking to me about these five forms of wealth. Mm-hmm. And I realized my kids are growing up while I'm at work. Right. And they're not getting younger. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, yeah, I mean, he was just ecstatic. Like he was beside himself. He said, but I don't allow things now to distract me when I'm there because when I'm working, I'm working, right. I'm a hundred percent focused. I'm a hundred percent there. And when I'm with my family, I'm not working, right. I'm a hundred percent with them. And that's uh be here now is pretty good advice. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, we've all heard the story, right. Of like, like I was talking to, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I was talking to a guy probably would have been maybe a year ago and he was maybe at the end of his career. And he said, you know, the only regret I have is I did not spend very much time with my kids because I was out basically building this company. Right. And you've, it's, it's amazing how many people have said something like that in some form. Uh, and what a, you know, and what a, I just, I love that story of the guy you were mentoring because it's like, it's, it's like it, it, it's the end of when you start the question with what if you could be as successful as you want to be and also get the time with your kids or not go in on Monday or not, you know, so on and so forth. Right. And look, maybe your definition of success um, evolves and changes, right? Maybe, uh, maybe success isn't just about money. Mm. Maybe those other, maybe those other four things are important. Mm. Right. And, uh, look, if you don't like your wife, if you don't like being a parent, you don't like doing anything fun, you know, you just want to work and that's what you, that's what you're married to. Then mm. I guess that's okay. Uh, and that's okay for some people. Maybe that's okay for Gary B. Um, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I can tell you that, uh, while you're off working, your kids wish you were there at their ball game yeah. or, or uh, their cheer competition. And your wife wishes you were taking her out to dinner, not yeah. meeting clients. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah. What a, what a priorities. What is just, what a powerful challenge, right? It's, it's, you can get so in the weeds that you lose track 
of the really meaningful things. And I, I also, man, I, I just, I love what you're talking about because it makes me think of, so 10 years ago, I was a high school teacher and I was working in inner city Houston and the hours were just crazy. I mean, the school day started at 7.30, the last class got out at 4.30 and then you had to like lesson plan and like do tutoring, all the stuff. And we had some teachers who would stay so late. We actually had one teacher who stayed so late in the night that the police showed up with security dogs thinking someone <laughs> thinking someone had broken into the school. And it was just this guy who was like making copies for his, for his students because it, wow. like, it was like two in the morning, right? And so I right. remember I did, I did, just speaking very frankly, I did very well for myself as a teacher. And yet I remember getting criticism because as soon as that 4.30 bell hit, I was like, guys, I'm out of here. See ya. Because it was so important to me to not live at the school basically and to not, you know, to have that boundary on my, you know, work time. Uh, but I, I felt the pressure of that. Like I felt the pressure from other people. But when I look back to that, I, I don't know if I would have made it if I had been staying, you know, till two o'clock in the morning every night. So, right. Yeah. That's uh listen, it, it's, um, it's very easy to fall into that habit. Um, and, and look early on in life, that's, I was in that habit. And, uh, it reminds me, it was like, you know, people will ask me, you know, Bob, how do you know how to do all these things? Well, you know, cause I screwed them up a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you make mistakes, uh, you can make those fatal or you can learn from them. Right. And so, um, you know, I choose to learn from them. Mm-hmm. So tell me, was and hope, and, and, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And hopefully, pass on a little bit of that of that knowledge and experience, and uh, maybe wisdom to some other people, so that they don't have to make those same mistakes I did. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, listening to you, I can tell you, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciating listening to you because I can tell that you really value the right things, and so it, it encourages me and reminds me to also value the right things. Uh, as I'm listening to you, take me back just a little bit. You know, we've talked a little bit about your business. You've given some really great insights on innovation and wealth. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you, you know, you were in the, in the financial sector, you know, when did you switch over? What was that journey like for you? You know, when you started Spearpoint, I mean, cause I have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast. So, you know, tell me a little bit of the origin story, I guess. So thank you for asking. In in spending time in financial services, I would see both clients that I worked with and reps that I hired and trained in my company sabotaging their financial success. And and the more I saw that, Blake, the more it bothered me. And, and, And I remember sitting there asking myself in in no uncertain terms. Why in the world do people do this? Why do they do these things to themselves? And and so that led me to what's now an ongoing study for over 20 years now about the psychology of human beings and in particular, the psychology of human action or inaction. And when I started studying that, I I started learning a lot about um, about 
people generally and what limits them in life. And I started applying that stuff to my own life and it started making a huge difference for me. And, and that's what led me to the decision of one, to write my first book called Discovering Your Greatness and subtitled A Higher Level Thinking and Action Guide. And, uh, and it's short too, by the way, it's only like, I think the, I think the paperback version of it is like 70 pages, 72 pages or something like that, because I cut out all, I mean, some, some people are, um, some people are determined and crazy enough like me to read 900 pages of Awaken the Giant Within by, you know, from Tony Robbins. But a lot of people get 40, 50 pages into that book and go, Wow, this is a really long book, right? They just put it down. So <laughs> I made it all the way through it, but I remember at the end thinking, huh. you know, he said like the same thing like a hundred times. Yeah. So, but uh, but I really, the more I the more I learned about that, the more I thought, you know, I could probably make a bigger difference faster for more people teaching them what I'm learning here than continuing on in the financial services industry, an industry that I loved and I think does make a positive difference for people. Um, and um, it's a good industry. But I just, uh, I think you, you, you just have to do what you think is the right thing to do. And so for me, the right thing was, you know, after 17 years putting that aside and, and uh, going out and starting a company that, that taught people those principles, and, and originally, by the way, it was, um, you know, we were, we were teaching a little bit about being more creative, but the more I learned about that, the more I learned that, that teaching people thinking methods of being more creative and breaking those thinking patterns that they have um, that have become their comfort zone of thinking you can change people faster and produce results faster doing that. And so sort of that combination of things is uh, what led us to where we are now, which is predominantly uh, doing um, the creative work. And, um, and I do uh, about once a quarter run a uh, business success mastermind group to help other entrepreneurs and uh, teach them some of the principles of, of um, thinking bigger and, building better awareness of the world and how it works. And uh, so we still do a little bit of that kind of work, uh, but predominantly it's more in the creative and innovative thinking space. And, and, um, and that's a good bridge, by the way. You know, I have a good friend of mine who, uh, who does work in the personal uh, development world. And he, I remember meeting with him one time over coffee and he had just done a, a training a seminar that morning for a corporate client of his. And I, I said to him, I said, do you mind if I, I ask you a couple of questions? He's like, yeah, sure. I said, are the people in your workshops, are they there voluntarily or does their employer insist? And he's like, yeah, the employer insists. I said, well, correct me if I'm wrong and tell me if it's none of my business, but I almost guarantee you get people sitting there in your workshops that are checking their email, looking at their phone, looking around the room, wondering when it's going to be over, doing everything except paying attention to you. And he just sort of chuckled. And I said, do you mind if I offer an opinion on why I think that is? He said, yeah, sure. 
I said two things. One, people don't like to be forced to do things, right? They they like having their own agency, right? Making their own decisions. Um, so when they're forced to do something, they're not very cooperative about it. But number two, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you're teaching, that material, if you rate it on a scale of one to 10, is probably a level six or above. He's like, yeah. I said, but most people aren't there, right? They're down here at a level one or two. And so uh, he's like, or a zero. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I said, yeah. And I said, so wait, I said, the work that we're doing in the, in the creative uh, space and teaching people how to think that way, it's a good bridge to get people up to that higher level. And then, you know, if they need that kind of work, yeah, I refer them over to people that do that's more their specialty and their sort of sweet spot. So that, that's a that's kind of a long way around to, to get to where we were doing the work that we're doing now. But, you know, it's a journey and, and you can and you can think, you know, every step and you right. You think this is how exactly how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And yet when you get walking down that road, periodically there are detours. Right. And you mm-hmm. get uh, you get diverted down to a different road. And uh, that road's better in a lot of cases. At least it is for me. How did you get your your first customers? You know, it was, you know, 17 years in the financial industry. And uh, I just know a lot of people. And uh, I remember doing some errands with my my son, who's 32, he was, he was 14 at the time. We were out on a Saturday doing a stop in three or four different places, taking care of some business. And, and it seemed like every place that we stopped, somebody knew me, right? And then we stopped for lunch for about an hour and five or six people stopped by the table and said hello. And my son looked at me and he said, Dad, do you know everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I said, not yet, Rob, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so that's 18 years ago. And I just, you know, I, uh, I'm a big networker mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and networking in probably a little bit different way than most people go about it. Yeah. And I don't know what your experience with networking is Blake, but a lot of, a lot of people think networking is just going, giving your 32nd elevator pitch yeah. to as many people as you can. Right. Yeah. It drives me crazy. My, yeah. Uh, my mindset is when I meet somebody new, I'm asking, you know, in what ways can I help this person? Yeah. Right. In what ways can I add value to them? And when you take that approach and when you go about helping other people first, it's amazing how much comes back your way. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, it, and a lot of times in, in unex, from unexpected sources. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like we need to retrain people as to what, real good networking is because that's that has been my experience is that people see networking as how do I get from you as quickly as possible in terms of how do I make this sale to you I even had someone in and I'm sure you get these literally all the time uh, because I get them as well you know it's the LinkedIn message that says you know hey I'm hoping to connect uh really like what you're doing and then the next message because some of these messages I just can't I can't get to them in the same day And so maybe like a day goes by and literally between like that first message and the next day, I guess the person just gets feverish. And so 24 hours, (laughs) they send another message that's, 
you know, hey, if you need help with, you know, leads or sales or whatever, we have this, you know, proven process or what have you. And it's very superficial. Sure. It's very much meaningless. And it's really not what I think networking should be. I think I love your perspective on it. It should be this thing that you're building real authentic connections and especially in a generous way where it's, it's rather than how do I get from you, I love how you described it. How can I really help you and bring something to the table that you need? And that really, I think you're right. I think it does come back around. Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine who is, uh, his goal is to change people's perception of that. His name is Adam Connors, and he's the CEO of a company called NetworkWise. And, and he literally does train people on how to effectively network. And, um, you know, I heard uh, early on in some sales training I had, I heard Zig Ziglar say that the, the way to get what you want is to help enough people, enough other people get what they want. And so, you know, it's the way I look at money, business, value, is it's like a circulatory system. And think about a circulatory system in your body. If your heart's pumping out blood, then blood's going to continuously come back, right? But the minute your heart stops pumping out blood, you know, you're in big trouble. So I look at that the same way in business. You know, if you're helping other people um, get what they want, that, that could be a lot of different things. It could be, you know, what do you have in your basket of values, right? Uh, of things of value. It could be you've read a, a great book that somebody ought to read. On that subject, there's a book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann that I, in my opinion, if you want to be super successful, is an absolute must read. And uh, so, but it could be this person needs to be introduced to somebody in your network. Do that, right? Whatever it happens to be. Sometimes it's just an encouraging word. Right. I had a conversation earlier this week uh, with a, um, a woman who just left her corporate job and she's been running her, uh, her consulting business part time. And that's a full time gig for her. And so most of the conversation we talked about was about entrepreneurship and and why it's important for her to be successful. And I told her it's probably going to be a harder road than you think. It's probably going to take more time and cost you more money than you, than you imagine. Yeah. But, but, but it's worth it. Mm. It's worth it. And if you ever need a word of encouragement, you call me. And so that's, uh, I, I think it's, it, I, it's just becomes a way of life. You know, it's not a strategy. It's just, it's just that's, you do it because you want to, mm-hmm. right? Because you love helping other people. And, and it's, uh, it's so counter to what a lot of people have been taught or trained on that, you know, I, I talked to, I talked to salespeople in sales training. It's almost like they paint it as a war, right? It's a, it's a war when you're doing battle against people. Why well, say, why does it have to be that way? Hmm. Why? Right. Or you got to build some, uh, um, you know, online funnel. It just, I don't know. It's just so impersonal. Mm. And um, I just think, you know, build 
when you do things the way I'm describing, I think you build such raving fans that they can't wait to refer people to you mm-hmm. and tell them and tell them about what you with the work that you do because they're so enthused by uh, your approach and it's so uh, you know look we train on differentiation right on how to think more creatively. Well, that's a differentiation right there, Blake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's so funny to me because it makes me think of, I had a guy who called me for, it was a sales call and he wanted me to use his, it was like a lead funnel system thing. And I said, no. And his tone went from very amicable and pleasant to uh, almost like he was insulted and offended. And he said, you know, Blake, I've been in business for 20 years. Like, what's the problem? Almost like I was insulting his ego. And I uh-huh. really kind of taken aback by it. And I really, it almost felt like I was breaking up with someone who was like saying no to me. <laughs> and I had never, I, this is the first conversation I'd had with this person. I was thinking like, clearly this is more about you in the sale than it really is about me, right? And I've even told people sometimes if you want to build your raving fans, like if you want your thousand true fans, call your customers, call your clients and don't sell them on something. You know, don't expect to make any sale, but just just call to support them and listen to them. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I love what you even said, you know, give an encouraging word to them. And it's amazing how that ends up working in your favor long term. Right. And it's, uh, you know, when you can give, uh, David Meltzer has a philosophy in business. I don't know if you're familiar with David or not, but mm-hmm. he uh, uh, he's a, he's the CEO of a company called Sports One um, Sports One Marketing. His, his partner is Warren Moon, a Hall of Fame uh, NFL quarterback. Um, anyway, um, he has a philosophy he calls 100 or 100 slash 20, where for for every twenty dollars he's accepting in payment. He wants to give a hundred dollars worth of value to the people that he's doing business with, because people can't tell you no. I mean, if I had a hundred dollar bill, I said, "Hey, Blake, I'll give you a hundred dollar bill if you give me a twenty back." I mean, how many times a day would you do that, mm-hmm. right? So it's those companies that really, really thrive mm. are are the ones that offer so much in value in comparison to what they're selling costs, those are the ones that really thrive because people do business with companies that they are estimating or giving them the most value for their dollar. Mm -hmm. And so one of the advantages to thinking creatively is that you can come up with those things that add perceived value to your customer you know, I like to tell a story at the beginning of the, the fun shops that I do that hinges are small, doors are enormous, and yet doors swing on hinges. And it's that same way in business. You, you need to add little extra unexpected things that make the value, the perceived value in the mind of the customer go up so dramatically that considering anybody else isn't really even in the ballpark, mm-hmm. right? Because, because you're offering so much more in value um, and, and you're not viewed then as a commodity where, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, take the choice hotels example I was talking about before, I said, one of the problems with the hotel industry 
is they're a victim of sort by price. Right? Mm -hmm. I go on to one of these third party uh, sites and I, you know, and I'm, if every brand in my mind is more or less the same, mm-hmm. then I, I want to get something in a given location. And, and there's no, if there's no difference in my mind, one versus the other, it's like driving down the road and I need gas in my car and there's a shell station on one corner, a BP on another corner and a marathon on a third corner. And one of them's two cents less. I'm probably buying the one that's two cents less because they're, they're all the same. Right. right? So you got to not be the same. Right. Cause, cause what fun is competing on price? Right. Yeah. It, it's so, it reminds me of what David Breyer said. He was on the podcast and he said something very similar in that when everything is the same in your customer's eyes, price is the clearest differentiator and you don't want to, you don't, right. don't want to fight that battle. Cause it's a race. What's a downward death spiral. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if, you know, if you're saying, boy, you know what? Uh, me too. Uh, except we're 2% less or 5% less then your competitor is going to come along and go, Oh, okay. Well, we're 2% less than them. And it steps down and down and down and down until one of you is out of business. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you don't have the deep pockets to compete on on price and on thin margins, then uh, you're you start competing on price. That's the first step you're going out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a just incredible episode. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface on you, <laughs> so we'll have to maybe do a follow up <laughs> at some point. How can people engage with your content? How can they follow you? What's what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, the best way to, to follow me is on LinkedIn. Um, just linkedin.com slash IN slash Bob Sager, B-O-B-S-A-G-E-R. They can also, if they, if they want to get um, some ideas for free, I do a podcast called Outthink the Competition. They can tune into that. Um, most of those are very short form, um, five minutes or under. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, I promise there's a lot of meat. And occasionally we do an episode uh, where where we're developing a strategy for a client and sort of walking that journey. And there's uh, one of those that's live now. Um, but that's probably the best way uh, is LinkedIn. I mean, they can visit my website, but there's frankly, it's spearpointonline.com. But there's nothing there that you don't find on LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, but LinkedIn is where I live in terms of social media. Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, a worthy one, man. I'm with you. <laughs> well, and especially, you know, when you're in an industry like, like ours, where it's a B2B, uh-huh. you know, the, that's where your clients live. Right. So, um, yeah. So that's the place to be. Yeah. Plus it's fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Bob, and I appreciate you. And for the listeners, thanks so much for listening. I'll put the link to uh, his podcast and then also his LinkedIn profile in the episode description. And we will catch you later. See ya.